Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Michael Canavo. He's the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Super 73, an American lifestyle and transportation company that designs, manufactures, and distributes one-of-a-kind branded electric motorbikes. And I heard about this company a few years ago from one of Casey Neistat's YouTube videos, and they are... I mean, they're a juggernaut now in the industry, and they've really grown since 2016 when they launched a Kickstarter that went viral into one of the most recognizable two-wheel electric vehicle brands in the world, backed by Will Smith, Jamie Foxx, Madonna, Snoop Dogg, Lil Nas, Cam Newton, Post Malone, and on and on and on. They have really gone viral and built something that everyone loves when you see one of these things and you try them out and i'm sure you've actually probably seen one whether you know it or not in this episode we go through how it got started how that first kickstarter got started and what happened there the manufacturing distribution and everything about this business up until now it was such a fun conversation as always the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Michael Canavo, co-founder and chief marketing officer at Super 73. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. And I've heard of Super 73 you know, years ago. I've seen you know many, many different videos of, of people. Specifically, I remember watching Casey Neistat's video a long time ago, hearing about Super 73, and then just seeing other ones from I mean, a plethora of people. But I'm always curious with companies how they get started first. So for Super 73, how did this get started initially? Yeah, um, so it's funny to talk about content because content was a big part of it. Um, I come from the now defunct platform of Vine. Um, that's actually where I got started <laughs> with my little uh, video career. And um, you know, after that, I started doing, um, I guess you can call it viral marketing for startups. So I was kind of bouncing around from startup to startup in Orange County. Uh, kind of taking care of their video needs. Uh, there was a couple, you know, like a beef jerky subscription company. Uh, there was like a lawn mowing subscription service. And then uh, there was this uh, group of people that were making these kind of uh, interesting looking cargo scooters. And these were like business to business sort of um, uh, like cargo platforms for warehouse fulfillment. Um, and so I was like, this is a really cool team. I'm going to kind of team up with them. Uh, we were about four years too early to the scooter scene and there was just no demand for it. It wasn't an exciting project. So on one weekend, uh, a few of us that were, you know, a part of uh, that previous company kind of got together and we're like, Hey, what if we did like an electrified mini bike? Um, what if we took that 1970s taco mini bike design and we modernized it, gave it some big wheels. And what you see is basically what we made. Uh, we built that bike over the course of, I would say less than a week. I shot all the content for it in about two days, um, and my uh, business partner Aaron did all the branding and and kind of the Kickstarter page for it, and we just launched it. We didn't know. We thought maybe we'd sell ten, and it would kind of uh, get us <laughs> through the summer. We we were all. Uh, I mean, we were either living out of the warehouse or eating away at our savings accounts. So you know, it's very startup mentality. So we were just kind of trying to uh, pay the bills and. We ended up selling half a million's worth in uh, 30 days. And that's when we were like, okay, I think uh, maybe we need to take this thing and run with it. So we, uh, we all kind of folded our other businesses, uh, shut down the business we were currently working at, 
and launched Super 73 officially. It's uh, well, it's an incredible startup story, especially just looking at all the things you had to do, I'm sure, to, to get this off the ground. And that's where I want to dig into now with understanding that you go through the Kickstarter, which there's a lot that goes into a Kickstarter campaign. To start with with that, I mean, you, you film some content, make this bike in like a week, then go do the Kickstarter. But that doesn't, doesn't necessarily just happen uh, overnight to get 500K in backers. Take me through like that whole Kickstarter thing and like what you were thinking yeah. of to grow it and everything. <laughs> This is a very interesting kind of story because at the time, none of us were at all familiar with the platform. And yeah. so we didn't think to take out any ads. We didn't think to kind of push it at all. Uh, we had a friend that was working at um, Design Boom, which was a uh, kind of a design cool concept website that just showcased, you know, really cool designs in, in consumer uh, kind of consumer products. And so they uh, posted it for us as kind of like a favor, um, like, hey, check out this new California electric mini bike. It was the first of its kind. There weren't, you know, uh, there really weren't many stylized uh, fat bike uh, electric bikes out there. I would actually say that there were zero. Um, there were obviously like the e-bike conversion kits and, and there were, you know, Pedego was around, uh, Rad Power. They were really catering to like the older demographic. Um, but there was nothing cool out there. And so I think this really clicked with uh, with millennials, uh, Gen X, um, and then, you know, the older demographics that wanted something cool. And so this was a truly viral Kickstarter campaign. It, <laughs> after it got posted on Design Boom, it went out from there. Um, you know, Gizmag, uh, uh, Hypebeast, um, High Snobiety, they all kind of jumped on and started posting it. And it, I kind of we kick ourselves because if we if we had run ads and actually had <laughs> done marketing, um, you know, the number would probably have been much higher. But I think it was good that it wasn't because we made all of those bikes here in California. And that was about 600 bikes uh, that we ended up having to make here. And that was exhausting. So those original ones are, are you know, certified made in America. That's amazing. And one of the things with what you mentioned there too, yeah, now in 2020, everyone kind of knows there's a lot that goes into a Kickstarter campaign or any, you know, whether it be an, that type of thing where you have an actual physical product. I've talked to a number of people on this show who have done a WeFunder campaign or they do like a start engine uh, type of campaign. And like one person who just released their episode today raised 1.2 million on, on WeFunder. And it's just a whole different game now in terms of that type of route. But back then you had true virality, which is great. And you mentioned making 600 bikes in America. I, I gotta know what went into that. What were you thinking after you just raised that 500K? You're like, we have to now fulfill these. You said, what were you thinking? And I think the biggest word would be oops. Um, <laughs> it was It was kind of a moment of like, Okay, now what? Um, yeah. You know, we had the manufacturing experience because of our scooter uh, company previously, so we really just used what we had the, from the tubing to the mills to the to the two vendors. Uh, you know, the the presses. We were really reutilizing all of those machines to build these bikes, and um, you know, I think it kind of shows in how quirky the design was on those original bikes. They weren't, uh, you know, necessarily. I guess the most um, uh, aesthetically uh, sound product products, uh, you know, if you sure. kind of look into the details of it, it's like, why did they do a dropout that has, you know, that L shape? And it's like, well, because that was the tool that we had to build that dropout. Yeah. And, you know, and, and even you mentioned um, campaigns now, you know, very often pushing over a million. I mean, half a million now, it's just not very much. Uh, but when we launched that initially, it was, kind of the one of the first big 
kind of players in the electric vehicle space on Kickstarter. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of daunting, uh, you know, and you say, well, what did you guys think? Well, it was just straight to work. We were working uh, until 2 a.m. every single morning. We would crash, uh, take naps. I have one of the photo um, somewhere in the archives of one of my business partners sleeping in one of the cargo bins of the, the failed scooter company, um, you know, in between <laughs> welding. And that's just what the the energy was like. It was just exhausting. Um, but we were all so aligned that there none of us were going to let it fail. So, it, you know, we kind of were able to pull through that. And for context for people, at the time when you were had to basically fulfill 600 orders or create 600 bikes, how many people were involved in creating those in terms of like on your team? Oh, there's three of us. Just the three of you. <laughs> to do 600, yeah. 600 bikes. Yeah, yeah. The so three of you. We ended up, um, you know, kind of posting on Facebook, calling some friends, running to Home Depot to find some people who were looking for work at the time. It was just <laughs> like, how can we pull it together? And so, um, yeah, for the most part, I would say 80% of it, 90% of it was, you know, just the three of us. Uh, and then that extra little push where, you know, friends coming in to help or, you know, college kids that were like, hey, look, I just want to hang around. This is cool because the project had gone viral. The video had 1.5 million views. And so um, there were a lot of young people in the area that were like, hey, wait, Super 73 is in my neighborhood. So they would just come by and oh, wow. want to hang out and want to be around. They made videos. So it was a very interesting time. Going from that then, I mean, how long did that end up taking you to fulfill those 600 bikes? Then? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I, I look back and I things are oftentimes less painful, you know, looking <laughs> back at them than they were. Uh, sure. But I think that was a that was a really solid, I want to say nine months to get all those bikes out. Um, you know, I'm sure that there, there were cases of more and cases of less. But uh, we did fulfill every single one of those orders. And a lot of those people who bought those bikes um, have recently bought, uh, you know, the new bike four years later. So um, there is kind of uh, a loyalty factor that we're really grateful to have. Absolutely. And from that, then understand that you had this, this viral video with viral campaign with Kickstarter, million and a half views, 600 bikes you sold from that at least. Then how did you ride that wave? And what was kind of next from there after that initial bump? Because you had this huge bump in the business, but you know, there's businesses that have that bump and then they don't really do much with it after that in terms of kind of carrying it on. What did you and the team then do from there to kind of continue the growth? Right. So we did the only thing that, you know, I, I knew how to do, which was kind of that viral influencer side. And we found a, um, a YouTube influencer who wasn't necessarily at the, the height of his game anymore. He was a very old um, kind of first generation YouTuber, um, Jesse Wellens. Um, and he was just he was still making like <laughs> lifestyle and fashion videos. Uh, you know, he was definitely still still creating content. But yeah, you know, his his peak was like 20, probably 2012, 2013, when when he was getting millions of views. And so, um, you know, it was a very interesting take, because it was like, why are these two entities coming together? But but we talked to him, and we were like, Hey, Jesse, look, you have this brand called Rose Ave. Um, We have these bikes, we want to release a new bike. Um, let's co-brand, let's do it together. We gave him, uh, you know, a small part of the profit so that um, we could basically, it was a sort of a friendly handshake royalties uh, <laughs> uh, payment system. Um, and we were like, hey, let's let's co-brand. You make a video for us uh, touting the new Super 73 Rose Ave and we'll do all the work on the manufacturing side. We ended up uh, doing a million in 30 days and we Damn. didn't go back to the crowdfunding. Yeah, we didn't go back to the crowdfunding <laughs> platform because we didn't want to look like a Kickstarter company. That was important to us is that 
um, you know, we were like, we, we, we wanted to maintain our customers trust um, by not kind of revisiting that well, and then creating this sort of forced cycle of us always having to go back to Kickstarter anytime we wanted to release anything. So um, we didn't touch crowdfunding. And uh, we were yeah, we were fortunate enough to raise a million this time around. And it made Jesse Wellens very excited so much so that he officially came on as part of the company. Um, and then, you know, when it came down to getting some of the biggest talent from that point on, it was super simple. With that, for other people who have products or product companies and are kind of thinking about the influencer space and getting people to help promote them and even bring in on partners, you ended up working with Jesse to start with. But were you considering other options at the at the, at the beginning? Uh, how did you end up, you know, contacting him, getting in touch with him uh, versus other others? Because I'm just there's a lot there's a lot out there in terms of the influencer space. I'm just curious on how you kind of approach that. Yeah, um, it is very interesting because we got to Jesse through Andy Milanakis and it's a story not a lot of people know. I don't actually think I've ever really told it. Um, Andy Milanakis from, you know, from MTV back in the late nineties, early two thousands. He hit us up and he was an e-bike enthusiast. And um, so when we actually, he's like, Hey, can you, can you, can you come to Venice, uh, hang out with my friend Jesse and I, Um, and that's where we initially met, you know, for the first time, Jesse Wellens. Now, obviously I'd kind of been in the space, so um, I was a big fan of what he was doing and, and um, I was familiar with him. And so there were those ties already, but uh, Andy made that formal introduction and um, that's what kind of kicked it off. And that kind of authenticity between um, my business partner, Aaron and myself as creators, and then them as content creators uh, really kind of formed a bond that, um, that really, really stuck. Yeah, and that's just kind of shows the power of the right the right partnerships, and you've seen it in business all over. When you have the right partners come together, it's it's you know it's that one plus one equals more than two that type of thinking, right? When you mm-hmm. can find the right person, and and from that though, you, you mentioned the, the the troubles doing the six hundred bikes from the Kickstarter, then you have a million in sales with thirty days with Jesse. Then uh, same thing the manufacturing at that point. How did things evolve? How did that go from there? I, I'm just it, it seems so difficult to do. I'm just curious how you pull it off. Yeah, right. Um, they, it, you know, at that point, we were so, um, I guess, battle hardened by the first pass of bikes that um, <laughs> one of our business partners, uh, Legrand, who had come on during that first stage, um, he's now the CEO of Super 73. Um, he uh, had really great relationships with manufacturing overseas. And so he was kind of like, hey, guys, like, let these reins go. I'll take them. Um, I will come in and, uh, kind of reassess your relationship with manufacturers, with parts suppliers. And he basically reforged all the manufacturing from top down so that we were only doing like the first prototyping and the first wave of bikes over here. And then everything else was being done overseas. So that's when our quality actually really kind of jumped. And it was like, oh, this is really a consumer product at this point. From that too, then understand that you had the the start with Jesse in terms of influencer marketing then how did you kind of grow, expand from there? I know you talked about how that led to other relationships, but there's a lot of strategy that goes in into it potentially behind there. And and I'm curious how you were approaching growth from that point. Was it simply you know just getting more influencers on there, or was other things you guys were doing to really on the customer acquisition side of things for Super Seventy Three? Yeah, we wanted to approach it very differently. I think we've always looked at ourselves as a, a community brand, and so when you have a community brand, it's about forging those real relationships, being honest and um, putting a face to the company and, uh, you know, between the, or among the small group of, of founders that, that we had, 
nobody was really comfortable on camera except myself. Um, I had been doing YouTube for quite a while. I had, you know, um, gathered about 40,000 on Vine when that was around. So it was enough to kind of be familiar with um, creating content. So I just started basically becoming a YouTuber, uh, but for bikes. And I was on every video. I explained all the parts of the bikes. When we had issues, I would jump in front of the camera and be like, look, everybody, we got a delay. This is what happened. And I would expose things that most companies wouldn't expose. And that forged this real relationship with our community, this kind of sort of like, hey, I'm supporting not only this company, but I'm supporting these people because they're being honest with me. And we really broke down those those barriers between brand and consumer and made it way more of a collaborative effort. So, you know, I'd have customers being like, well, yeah, my, you know, my buddy or my ex-roommate or uh, my uncle's in manufacturing over here. Let me hit him up and see if we can, you know, help here. And so it really became like this collaborative effort. And a lot of times, you know, it, it led to nothing, but it was kind of that dialogue that we had opened up between consumer and brand. And um, that really built those core foundations of that community that we have now. And, and then obviously other parts like uh, influencers and, and, you know, traditional marketing has really just strengthened that. Um, but that core group of writers and, and consumers, they're, they're our kind of front lines missionaries still. Yeah. It's much at also a cheaper acquisition channel than, than others potentially if you're looking at Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, and with looking at uh, the the price point too, it I mean it makes a lot of sense if you can if you can ride that and kind of uh, push that. And I think there's other uh, another co- company I interviewed recently. His episode's not released yet, but from uh, Soul Savvy, and they built a community of people with sneakers, and then mm-hmm. have grown that since then to decide on you know more on what the company does and the next products and services types of things like that. It, it, they decide on from the community itself. And on that kind of note with super 73, you have this initial bike, you have this initial electric bike that you have on Kickstarter, but then at what point do you evolve to then, okay, our next version? I'm curious on how that transition took place. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was almost immediately that we were like, this isn't the end. Everybody, uh, all of, all of the, the, the founders are, are really aligned in our vision of like, Hey, we need to push this thing further and further. And so for the last two years, um, you know, our new products have been in development, but it's, we wanted to make sure we did it right. We wanted to make sure that we were like, um, you know, focused and had a runway, a, a financial runway to sustain um, R&D and engineering and kind of bringing all these things in, in-house because we didn't want to outsource um, R&D, R&D. We didn't want to outsource design. We wanted to have those here uh, at the headquarters so that we could really continue to um, innovate, especially in a space that we can't really protect um, a lot of our IP because there's, you know, we can, we can kind of trademark a, a, a design and copyright a design, um, you know, and, and somebody can change it by one degree and then they're yeah. free and clear. So yeah. that we knew early on was that it was rapid innovation that was going to keep us kind of at the head of the pack. Um, and so that was always, you know, a, a big focus for us. And, and even now we're working on products that are going to see the light of day in, you know, the next two to three years. On that note then, Michael, with the you know, idea of rapid innovation, you've done so much with these different versions and different series of, of bikes. Now, take me through at this point, kind of some of your offerings for people who are wondering, uh, and there's a lot of questions I have to go with that, but I'm curious as to kind of like right now at this point, what you have, maybe a little, you know, if you have background on how those kind of came about, I'm curious about that. Just in, in regards to the products we offer? Yeah, because I know people have seen it. They look at the website and be like, oh, well, which one should I even right. go with if I was interested right. in it as well? I want to give uh, some time on that. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the initial the initial releases, it was the S1 was kind of the, the one that came after that original Kickstarter bike. And then we offered the Z1. So the S1 is basically your everyday commuter. Um, it was for the people that maybe rode a little bit harder. Maybe they like to, you know, if there's a dirt trail that runs along the sidewalk, maybe they wanted to hit that dirt trail. Maybe they wanted to, um, you know, kind of uh, ride uh, a bit harder than an average bicycle. That was a perfect bike for them. No suspension, but some really big uh, fat tires and a high cushion seat. Um, and then the Z1 was the answer for a kind of lower price, entry level, smaller bike that um, you know that that people under five five could feel really good and comfortable riding on. You could get it for you know your kids because we had a lot of S1 riders that had kids and the kids weren't quite tall enough. So that kind of came as an answer. Uh, the Z1 came as an answer to to the community wanting a bike that was a little more versatile for the younger or smaller people in their lives. And then recently, uh, we've done a, a refresh and the S2 um, is basically the S1 of the future. So we uh, added connectivity into it. Um, it has a bigger battery, better motor. Uh, it has front suspension. The ergonomics of it are way more uh, tuned to a bicycle so that pedaling is easier. The frame has been switched over from steel to aluminum. So it really is kind of that next iteration and, and even design language. It looks very much like just the next step up from the S1. And then with, with the RX as well, then take me through what that is on like what the difference is between that and the S2, for instance. Yeah. So, so the RX was the answer for all the videos we saw of people bombing their S1s <laughs> down giant hills. Um, we realized that we have a very adventure kind of thrill seeker sort of motocross enthusiast community. And, and a lot of them maybe loved the idea of a motorcycle, but weren't quite ready to get a motorcycle. So we wanted to kind of provide that middle ground answer for them in, hey, do you want that freedom and lifestyle of a motorcycle, but you don't want to worry about your license or registration or insurance? The the RX was the answer for that. And man, they they answered that call. Um, I would even say some of our, our, our best uh, dealers and, and, and distributors are our actual motorcycle industry people. So um, you know, Indian Motorcycle of San Diego, they move so many of our bikes. Um, and it's because it has that moto culture and that kind of moto feel, but it's not that full commitment of a kind of a gas guzzling, you know, 300 to 600 pound motorcycle. <laughs> um, so it really is, is that nice little sweet spot. And a lot of our RX riders have transitioned up into motorcycle riding, which is really cool to see. One thing you mentioned there with the distribution side of it, and I saw your distribution kind of all over the world. How has that evolved as a company has grown? Because I mean, the distributors are literally everywhere. How is that going to evolve? How do you approach that strategically? Yeah. So initially we kind of just handed distribution out to, uh, you know, companies that seemed like they might represent us well. And that really bit us uh, in Europe. Um, We realized pretty fast that our brand was being diluted, that the bikes were showing up in the wrong locations, that the quality and care that we wanted around Super 73 wasn't necessarily there. So what we did was we set up our own HQ in Amsterdam and hired a bunch of Europeans to uh, <laughs> run run Super 73 uh, Netherlands. And, and that's been really awesome because they all spent about a month here learning from all of us and kind of learning about that California culture, what makes us special. And then they were set free to go put their European spin on it and, um, you know, market it 
in the way that that a product needs to be sold in Europe. So answering the questions that European writers need um, need answered, and really taking that care and putting the quality into uh, you know our our brand um, overseas. With that, and understanding that you had the distribution overseas, was that demand? Did you just know from like even from early days that like a lot of your customers were wanting this over there? Or how did you set like those markets in terms of where you were going to go? Though, yeah, it was real instant. <laughs> like as soon as our, <laughs> our campaign went viral, we were looking, and it was like France was a huge uh, kind of demographic in our on our socials, um, as well as England, and so you know Germany kind of following, and we realized, hey, if we don't fill this kind of void somebody else is gonna and we've seen that happen with a few other you know smaller brands trying to emulate what we're doing but there isn't that authenticity of that california culture mixed into it so you have these you know germans acting like californians selling a um kind of a uh i guess a less soulful version of a super 73 uh it doesn't necessarily have that same kind of magic and that's been something that's been so great about us having our own team over there now is we're able to directly answer, um, you know, to the customers that are like, well, why would I get this instead of this? So having that that need met, um, it was always from day one, we knew that we were going to have to hit it hard. It was just a matter of getting the right pieces in, in play. And one of the things we, we had touched on earlier and uh, talked a little bit about just with with starting with Jesse Wellens and going from from him then to others, you've had, I mean, whether it be Will Smith, Jamie Foxx, et cetera, are you still kind of doing that same type of thing today, trying to get these bigger, uh, whether it be brand name celebrities and, and people and YouTubers, or YouTubers and such to kind of help you on, on that side just to get more, more press and everything? Or how do you look at that today? I'm just curious how it's evolved. Yeah, I think that influencer culture will always be a big part of what we do. Um, uh, something that infuriates our competition is we've actually to date never paid a cent for a post from any kind of influencer or celebrity. So when I say authentic <laughs> relationships, I really mean it. It's we didn't have the money to pay for these posts. Um, yeah. It was it wasn't a matter of, you know, we, we refused to. It was that it was never even an option for us. So we had to get creative with how we did it. And, um, you know, it's authenticity. Again, it's annoying to use that word so much. But when I was sitting with Will Smith, telling him the story of Super 73, you only get one chance at at a moment like that, you know, oftentimes in your entire life. And to be able to sit and tell the story that I told you, um, you know, like, hey, look, we're just trying to make it like we like my business partners (laughs) right now are sleeping in the warehouse trying to make it that story really clings on and it really connects and, and people can see right through that and, and see what really is the base of that. And that's how we've um, kind of been so fortunate. So we are still working on some pretty cool collaborative projects. You know, obviously we, we love our, our YouTubers um, and we'll always kind of uh, have a space set out and designated for living on YouTube, but we are working with kind of, you know, these brands and these creators with these large brands to do cool collaborations in the future. Um, so the definitely more, I think it's going to evolve in a, in a cool and creative way now that we have, um, way more qualified people in these buildings. So, um, <laughs> I, I'm excited to see what's happening. Yeah. And it's just funny to see, like, I think about things that have, uh, potential for benefit long, long into the future. And if you look at some of these collaborations you've done and, and you know, these authentic relationships you've built, then you look at something where, oh, you, I see was an arch, architectural digest or something video of Casey Neistat and there's his super 73s in the backyard. You're like, oh, that's incredible. Like now you're getting that play or you didn't do anything in terms of like 
that for that specific thing, right? Like he just had it right. of products. You know what I mean? Well, and, th- and that's what's so amazing when you have a product that fits their lifestyle, you can just trust it's going to show up. Yeah. And that's, that's such a unique kind of beneficial thing where you, it can kind of snowball over and over again as, as they use them. They actually use the product. So like it goes back to the kind of creating that, that thing for people and having that community as well. And, and as you're kind of looking back on, on Super 73 of the last few years here, I'm just curious as to what's kind of been the biggest challenge for you as, you, as you've grown. I think as a whole, it's it's been, I guess, having the appearance of being a very large company um, because of our socials. Uh, we we've been lucky enough to you know gather large social followings, um, but still having the resources of a small company. So um, you know through COVID, we got we got hit hard um, yeah. in in that people started demanding bikes like they've never demanded them before, and it's the best problem to have. Um, but <laughs> we had four customer <laughs> service reps going into COVID and we were pulling in between 7,000 and 10,000 inquiries every week for customer Jesus. service. <laughs> and so it was very tricky to not only like grow during COVID, but to hire new employees, train new employees while we were on, um, you know, while we were all quarantining and, 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 you know, social distancing and not meeting in the office, kind of getting those, all that answered. So it always has been frustrating because people look at our, our presence online and they think, you know, they think boosted board, they think, um, you know, uh, some of the larger players uh, like rad power. Um, and the truth is we're just, we're a much smaller team and because of COVID we've grown very fast, but, um, I think meeting the the demand has always been really tricky for us. Has it been something where, you know, looking at these other companies, I'm just thinking of of the funding side of things. Obviously, you've fueled yourself with growth. I mean, you started with Kickstarter, but then just from pure people loving your your product and then you're selling enough of them. Has the fundraising side of it been something that's come up in, in the company in terms of raising funds or anything? I'm just curious. Yeah. From the early days, we we really wanted to maintain that ownership of it because we've seen what happens to these tech companies that grow too fast. And I mean, we just saw it happen with Boosted and, and even yeah. the... the the SoCal brand uh, stance, the sock company, it just just happened to them as well, where they just laid off 80% of their their staff. Um, wow. Growth that happens too fast that isn't met by, you know, the revenue, um, you lose control of what the brand was supposed to be initially. You lose control of um, what it was meant to do and, and how it was meant to exist within, I guess, this consumer market. And so, what was always important for us is that as much as it hurt, we were going to bootstrap it as long as we could because building those bones and building that structure out um, pre-investment means that when investment comes in, um, we've already got all the answers uh, that, that they're going to ask the questions to. And so we were able to, we did pull in a Series A funding in late 2018 um, and it was a smaller amount, but all the pieces were so, so perfectly in line that the investors were like, we're not going to touch it. We're not going to take control. We're not going to do anything but let you guys do what you're doing because you've already proven, um, you know, through the course of the last few years that you can kind of build and grow this thing. So that's been such a, a wonderful thing to kind of be able to experience. And obviously we are um, growing very fast and, and looking at, uh, you know, fundraising um, sure. in 2020 and what that looks like. But there isn't like, we're not rushing for it. You know, it's not like we we are being forced to sign papers or term sheets yeah. because we've been able to build a sustainable, um, you know, a sustainable company, which has been so awesome. I'm, I'm curious when I hear that, where does that 
come from for for you personally at least like is that have you always kind of thought that way that regard i'm just curious uh from you yeah i think i you know it's it's funny i think i was just never trained to not think that way um yeah. and i it's just a, i guess it's a um a, a blessing of my ignorance was that uh <laughs> it was all about hard work for all of us um we had all had our own businesses uh i had a media uh like a media business where i was doing these these ads for startups uh aaron my my business partner was doing um djing and events so he was like helping plan weddings and large-scale events and then our other business partner legrand um had an e-bike conversion kit business so we had all kind of bootstrapped it multiple times before we knew what it was like to be hungry we knew what it was like to struggle and so we never really thought that like hey let's go get money pay ourselves a big salary and you know kind of grow this thing overnight it was more of like let's build these bones up from the ground level um and as much as it hurt for years and when i say hurt i mean it'll it'll like destroy relationships it'll it'll get you you know kicked out of your your apartment it'll get your phone bill cut off um but if you have that vision and your partners are aligned with you on you know what that end goal is it becomes very easy to lose everything in kind of the 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 long run to to own a piece of something that is sustainable. Yeah. And to that point, I think it's interesting and, and important as well for people to think about that as they're starting companies, as they're building companies, a lot of times it's not really discussed or it's not really thought about. Like, mm. what is this going to mean for control in the future? What is this going to mean for your vision? How, you know, there's so many things to think about when starting something. It's just become, at least in 2020, especially, it, it's almost like the first thing you think of is raising money. Um, right. In, instead of like, okay, well, what is this business going to be? What is, what do you want? If this business does grow, what, what control do you want? I mean, once you raise funding, there's a whole different agendas that are up as well. Looking at the returns that VCs need, depending on what that looks like. And it, it's just interesting to think about like what you actually want as a founder, as you're kind of building your business and, and growing, like there's many ways to go about it and it doesn't have to just necessarily be venture back. Obviously that makes sense in a lot of different models, but, uh, that's something to kind of think about for other entrepreneurs. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This was never a get rich quick scheme. And if it, it was, we wouldn't have gotten into manufacturing. It's the worst. <laughs> it's literally the worst industry to have a startup in. It's the reason why there's not so many of them, you know, and um, yeah. because of COVID, I think there's been like 12,000 new e-bike companies springing up around the US. But all they are is, is they're just buying, you know, blank bikes from China and sl slapping their label on them. Um, yeah. But there really aren't many true manufacturers out there. And it's because they're just the returns when you're a manufacturing company, the returns are basically what you can manufacture. Um, yeah. And so it definitely isn't a, isn't a get rich quick scheme or, or a move to be a millionaire overnight. Um, like a lot of the tech plays are because, you know, when, when you're doing tech, obviously everyone knows make the app once and then download it a hundred million times. Um, right. We, we, we have to make every single product that we sell. So um, I think the brand was always a big focus for us in making this thing valuable. We knew that, hey, as a bike company, we're not going to be, um, you know, we're not going to, it's not going to be the easiest life. But as a brand bike company, um, there's so much more room to play with the licenses, with the culture, with the social channels. And so we knew that that needed to be just as big of a piece of what we did as the actual bikes. And on that note, you mentioned with with some of the tech side of it though, I mean, do you have an app now? At what point did that, that come into play where you say you have integrated with this app that you have as well? How did that come into play? 
Yeah. So um, Legrand, uh, our CEO, uh, co-founder, is very tech heavy. Um, he was one of the first to, to snag a Tesla when they first came out. Um, and <laughs> nice. he's always kind of at the forefront of, of what, um, you know, what electric mobility is. He has uh, a zero motorcycle and an Energico, which are both uh, electric motorcycle brands, um, and is really kind of paving the way of, of what Super 70 is, 73 is on a tech side. Um, and so that was, as we revisited all these bikes, that was a necessity for us was that we did have that app. And what's more exciting is that this app that, that the users have right now is just the beginning. Um, we are working on something completely ours and just, <laughs> I, I can't go into a ton of details, but sure. the, 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 the depth of it are exciting. I mean, it's going to be a place that the community can really live on and, and kind of access every level of what it is to be a super 73 owner. Um, so that's always, you know, been near and dear to our heart, but you know, these bikes are getting stolen left and right. Cause, because they're very hot commodities right now. And so <laughs> we were like, okay, well, how do we add in tracking? How do we add in, um, kind of, you know, location services and, and, um, add in that sort of extra level of safety as these bikes get faster. And the app was definitely an answer to that question. Yeah. And with the tech side of it as well, I mean, having the software side to the hardware, I mean, obviously you look at Peloton and other companies like that who are integrating the two, you just, it's interesting to see what will happen next with you guys. And obviously, no, you can't go into all the details on things, but when you have a software component, there's a lot of stuff you can do, uh, and especially integrate with the hardware. Uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch what you guys build next. And to that point though, what is kind of the, the big vision at least? Like what, what is the big vision for super 73? I mean, what, where would you love to get to? I mean, with this company? Yeah, I think, um, there's a, there's a very large gap in current mobility and, and as mobility evolves and countries change their requirements and laws and cities starts to crack down. I mean, we're already seeing it in Europe where, um, you know, places like uh, Paris and, and Amsterdam are starting to outlaw gas vehicles within the city limits. Um, there's a huge, huge gap in that market that's um, not currently being filled. And a lot of the um, players out there, uh, kind of the older sort of OEM motorcycle manufacturers, they're a little too, um, I don't want to get in trouble. They're a little too bloated to, uh, <laughs> to kind of quickly adjust and fill that market. You know, it's, sure. it's, it's, they're, they're kind of seated too deep in their legacy. Um, and there's room for a, a smaller, more nimble player to come in and grab some of that market share and really make some noise in that space. And I think um, that sort of light electric vehicle of the future's uh, urban city centers is going to be something that we're going to be really excited to play in. Absolutely. And I'm a big reader, so I always have to ask, are there any books, whether it be personal or professional, that have been impactful in your, your life and your career? Um, you know, I think it's it's so cliche. Um, uh, you know, I've, I feel like I've, I've just plowed through so many audiobooks in an attempt to learn <laughs> what I don't know. But the one that stuck out to me the most, uh, it would be Purple Cow. And I think that's just because it was so elementary, but so, um, I guess, eye-opening from from a perspective of young millennial who, you know, wanted to learn how to talk to other people uh, from a brand's point of view authentically and, and kind of touching on what that means to be somebody who stands out and be something that is truly remarkable. We, we have a, a phrase we say around here a, a lot is that, like, do something remarkable today. And that word is thrown around so often, but it just means like do something or, or make something that people have to talk about. 
And that's, I think, what we've done with Super 73, where we made something that as it tears by, people want to talk <laughs> about it. And that's what's you know so exciting for us. Yeah, I mean, it obviously goes to the show if you look at all the different people you've worked with, and it's it stands out, and that's what you know got my attention a couple of years ago. I ended up, uh, I think, I went to an event, 2018, I want to say, in your at your Irvine uh, headquarters oh, as well. Oh, cool. Amazing. Yeah, and and, uh, and I was like, yeah, it's just this kind of just to take it all in of like the community you had built, and I had seen these things, and I like wanted to just check it out in person, and it is like pretty remarkable, and the custom builds you had that people were making that were showcased at that time uh, were just cool to see, and that's uh, something that's not think about for entrepreneurs is you're is you're building companies like remarkable, like worth remarking about, like something that people want to talk about because it's that good. And that's something even with this show, I aspire to, and people are starting to talk about more. It's like, how can you make something that good that people just can't help but talk about over and over again? And and as you've kind of uh, gone through your, your journey here, there's a lot of different, I'm sure, lessons and takeaways, but is there anything else you'd want to say to other entrepreneurs, other aspiring entrepreneurs or anything at all? Yeah, I love that question, and it's it's so big. Um, I'll pick a small little corner <laughs> of it, I think, and, and try to live in that. Um, truly being a genuinely good person, um, it's just so rare, and I'm sure you know you know as well. It's it's so rare and hard to find in these spaces because it's always so much about selling BS or or convincing people that you know, you're worth it, especially with the word entrepreneur. It's it's a word I don't love using just because it's kind of been, you know, dragged through the mud. Um, I think, you know, for people in this space, it's very easy to get sour to a business and, you know, to, to kind of work with the wrong people and then um, become callous and jaded because of it. But holding on to those sort of morals and, and that standard of, of, you know, being a genuinely good person who's empathetic and cares about others down you know, from, from the person working in the warehouse to the person making the bikes overseas, if you gen, genuinely care about, about them and, and who they are and what they're doing, things may sometimes take a little longer. They may cost a little more. But um, I think those are the things that really cement you um, to be able to create, you know, for long periods of time and maintain um, sort of a, a, a good work environment, happy employees. Um, and a community that's really excited to, to surround you even when things aren't going well. So I think if we had been, um, you know, a little bit uh, more jaded and, and kind of angry about some of the earlier comments, I don't think we would have people coming to our aid and our defense when things don't go right. Um, so I, I think I'm really grateful that, that we've built up that sort of community. And that's where I would really say that, that a, a lot of value can be placed for, for young entrepreneurs. And Michael, where can people go to learn more about Super 73 and also connect with you? Yeah, so we're we're all over the internet. Um, our, <laughs> our Instagram uh, has very pretty photos. Our, our website is being kind of uh, tweaked and redone to be um, you know, way more user-friendly than it has in the past, super73.com. Uh, on all platforms, we are at Super 73. Um, and then personally... Um, I am on Instagram uh, at Michael Canavo. And then uh, if you are into um, weird science fiction and, and Star Wars stuff, I actually have a, <laughs> a pretty large Star Wars following um, that's uh, at Rexin, R-E-X-I-N underscore around. Um, we have a podcast. We talk Star Wars news. We make cool props. It's just a kind of a cool creator space. A lot of Super 73 crossover there, too. I remember seeing that at the event, the Star Wars <laughs> stormtroopers there, yeah, <laughs> which was incredible. We have troopers that come and patrol every viral video we did. You know, we did the um, 
the speeder bikes through Manhattan with Jesse and Casey, where we yep. made two Super 73s into speeder bikes. So there is definitely a lot of crossover uh, between uh, us and, and Disney and Star Wars and hopefully um, more authentic and, uh, I guess, uh, legal crossovers <laughs> in the future that don't yeah well exactly and when you're the co-founder you can do that you can try those things like your passions of star wars and everything which is great but but michael thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today yeah thank you so much for having me justin really appreciated it thank you for listening to this episode of just go grind i really appreciate you taking the time to listen the weekly grind which is my weekly newsletter comes out every single friday you can find at justgogrind.com newsletter this is filled with tips tools and strategies for growing your business if you want to know how to launch a business how to grow it how to get it off the ground find employees all these different things there's a few tips tools and strategies every single week i deliver right to you justgogrind.com newsletter check it out thank you so much for listening talk to you in the next episode